0: A start on demand. On Demand. Good morning, Mackling and McNabb. McGarry's back on Monday. Two more days left of Bad Santa. We'll play at 7.15.
1: What was yesterday? Lux Barbecue gift certificate, right?
0: Yeah, it was a party pack or a, or a gift pack. So we got two more gifts under the tree to be unwrapped. Stick okay. around.
1: We already gave away an ugly Christmas sweater. What are
0: you trying to do here?
1: I feel like the odds are just really good for the next two days. That's all I'm saying.
0: Okay. All right. Um, I was just thinking about Jeff Braun's newscast here. Yes. Are you missing something? I'm
1: missing the, what do you call that? The The wind wind sock sock that goes over the microphone. Uh, Maybe it's on that microphone over there. So if you're hearing some wind this morning... (laughs) <laughs> get a sock on. I don't, Put a no sock on it, McNabb. Where anyway, is it? All it's right. irrelevant for anyone. All if I sound great, late. and you know what? Just tell me that I do.
0: You sound fantastic. And we'll carry on. Uh, just scrolling through Jeff Braun's newscast here at 6 o'clock. Sure. Uh, Donald Trump impeached last night. Mm-hmm. Are we going to talk about that today?
1: Uh, we're going to talk about... I'm the first person to
2: ever get impeached. and there's no crime. I like. I feel guilty.
1: There, we're done. Is that it? I think so. Listen, it's an important process. It's only the third time someone has been impeached. What he was trying to say there in that four-second bit of nonsense is that he thinks there hasn't been a crime, so why has he been impeached? He's the first person to be impeached for no reason is basically what he's saying. There's a whole bunch of process and shenanigans going on uh, in the States right now. It's going to be weeks, months before this moves forward. Will it make a difference Nobody seems to know, and so therefore, I'm saying
2: I'm the first person to ever get impeached, and there's no crime. I like, I feel guilty.
1: That's it.
0: I'm gonna in, in, in just draw on my inner John McLaughlin and say, "You are correct. Nothing <laughs> will come of this." Uh, nearly a week after Andrew Shear resigned as leader of the Conservative Party, more expense questions. Is this? Uh, isn't this essentially for the Conservative Party to work out?
1: Yeah, is but this, is for, this
0: a big deal for the rest so, of us? So
1: the expense questions come around the fact that it was revealed yesterday that he received about his office received $900,000 in expenses, which is about $700,000 more than what has been typical in the past. So there's questions about what that money was used for, not in any wrongdoing kind of way, just questions about the funds. I would say that, yeah, sure, it's internal politics, except for the fact that you're looking for someone to be able to handle their own business. So is the party handling its own business properly? And therefore, do you trust the party that has a leader that, you know, it seems to have some confusion. That's about the extent to which I would say that matters for the rest of us.
0: Yeah, well, my my answer to that is a uh, big deal. You guys sort it out. Uh, I don't need to know about it. And, of course, Environment T- Canada's top 10 2019 weather stories. We're all over this one. We will talk about this, and we'll speak with David Phillips in about an hour from now.
1: This one I love every year. First of all, David Phillips is Environment Canada's senior climatologist. He puts out a top 10 list every year, and it's a weird thing because you kind of want to be on it. He's like, yeah. We made the list. Like we knew it was bad, and so it's. You wear that like a badge of honor, right? Then it's like, then it's like, what am I? What am I proud of right now? That was a terrible. Terrible storm or terrible flood or terrible what have you. So Manitoba actually made it a couple of times on the list and we'll share with you why after seven.
0: Okay. And uh, that uh, those uh, coordinated police raids across the city yesterday, uh, that'll be in the news. I I don't think there's much more that we can add to what happened yesterday. Well, we'd
1: love to hear from our listeners, 780-6868. If you saw a heavy police presence in any of your neighborhoods or on your route to work or elsewhere while you're shopping for Christmas or what have you yesterday because we know there was a series of coordinated raids All police are saying is, yes, there were raids, and they will have more details Monday.
0: And the CRTC, this is something that we spoke about a couple days ago. The CRTC is launching, or a new system is being launched today to help block scammers from calling you. The CRTC gave service providers until today to have the new system to roll out calls with irregular caller ID information. What was the one that you tweeted out the other day, it looked like an a, like a, a, a identification number for a yeah, car. like a, a serial code or a, or a, number or a VIN or number or something like Sorry, that. The I, numbers
1: come in like because they're using voice over IPs or I'm not sure what, but they come in bizarre. You're not even right. sure what's being called. And then, of course, we've all been saying we get calls from Egypt or other parts of the world, and then now some of them are coming in locally, so... I'm going to use the word allegedly because supposedly starting today, companies are supposed to introduce technology that cracks down on that and would help us block some of those calls. But they haven't until September to implement it. And the reality is, and we talked about this Tuesday with the expert we spoke to, and I know uh, Richard and Julie talked to some experts as well on the news about the fact that it, it probably won't make any difference because just when you find the technology to beat it, the hackers find something else. Yeah, the so scammers
0: are always a step if, or two ahead. If
1: you do find that you're starting to see less calls, I'd love to know. But I'm up. I'm upwards at five or six calls a day.
0: It's becoming ludicrous if it hasn't been so for. E- a couple of years already just the number of calls it comes to the point where you miss calls you should be taking we'll talk about the Auditor General's uh, report with regards to the Department of Infrastructure and we'll hear from safety. Terry you know this is something Terry Shaw has been beating this drum since I've known him and of course things since the Humboldt uh, Broncos crash have been elevated and magnified uh, we'll get his response to this auditor's report and another good news story with regards to the economy in Manitoba And in the Winnipeg and the capital region, Centreport Canada setting a record with over $117 million of development and building permits issued for that facility in the RM of Rosser. When that was announced about a decade ago, I think a lot of people had a hard time conceptualizing what Centreport Mm -hmm. Canada might look like at some point. I had just
1: moved back when that was being constructed it's just a field, and right? so I was just I was confused as to what was going on there the vision though was so great and they're getting there
0: they are getting there and this uh, just a week after uh, Manitoba for the first time ever cracked the 3 billion dollar mark in terms of construction in our province we have this new uh, digital platform where we're sharing information, and it takes about nine of us to uh, do <laughs> one <laughs> element of this uh, program. It's so, muscle
1: memory, right, when you're learning something new and you're trying yeah,
3: to figure yeah, out so where do
1: is. I go Holy to click? Man. I have just clicked the all nine things wrongly. So if you
0: if you get at home an email from, from Lauren McNabb <laughs> that does not make sense. Uh
4: it's just, <laughs> not spam either. She just
0: sent it to everybody yeah, yeah. she all knows.
1: All of Winnipeg, yes. <laughs> Sorry about
0: that. 6.49, we have coffee and talk. Uh, talk about a variety of things at this time of the morning. Kelly Moore's here. Jeff Braun, Jeffrey Forche, who lives behind the glass, does a great job uh, keeping us on task. Why don't I start with you, Jeff Forche. Jeff, are you going to see the new Star Wars mo- movie? Uh, no. Why not?
5: I've only seen two of them. Uh, oh. It's
1: not really my jam.
0: Well, you know what? I think uh, I should have known that.
1: Jeff How Braun's about- shaking his head in disgust.
0: <laughs> so then we're going to shift uh, Jeff's and go to Braun. Yeah. Did you know that you can have a beer
5: at the movie now? Uh, I did not know that. I, but now I do. Now so you do. I'm not going to.
1: You've always I, been able to at those VIP ones. Yeah. yeah
0: the one on McGilvery, they've had uh, alcohol service there for a long time. They, there's a lounge and, yeah. the, you know, they'll come and they'll bring but, it to you. But I was
1: now, walking through the one in St. Patel and saw a sign advertising this the other day and thought, what's that about?
0: How much do they charge for the beer? I googled
5: it and it says between 7 and $9 for beer, $11 for one, but the it would vary province to province based on
6: taxes.
4: $11 for a glass of wine.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: So it, it, I have no problem with this.
1: Um, you know, I'm, I'm an adult. I can make choices, you know. <laughs> well, we're hoping nobody has <laughs> a problem with it. I bet you get it. carded, though. Well, no,
6: there, there are going to be people who have a problem with this. <laughs> do you think?
1: And, and, and say, you know, why do you need to have a drink there? But the thing is, it costs so much just to go to a movie. So, like, having that one drink is going to cost you so much money. You're not going You're not going there to get Drunk. Okay, so the is movie's op- not long enough. This is an option, yeah, Greg. At, at where now?
0: Scotia Bank uh, Multiplex over here at Polo Park, Saint Vitale, Silver City, and at Kildonan Place Cinema.
1: Okay, so it already costs a lot to go to a movie. I get that for yeah, it costs like thirty bucks just for one person. But when no, I for a movie,
4: oh, oh yeah, all in like fifteen wow, bucks for the ticket. what are <laughs> well, you, you buying? Five, <laughs> five barrels of popcorn? No, no, but, no, it's fifteen bucks for one regular popcorn, one regular drink. It's fifteen
1: bucks. Yes, yeah, plus, plus, a plus the ticket. Plus so the tickets. You're at yeah, thirty-five
4: bucks. bucks. So, no. do you have to have popcorn no. and a soda?
1: Literally, the only reason why I actually ever want to go to so, a movie. So is So, how much for the does it
4: actually cost to go to the movie? Like twelve bucks. There you go. Thank you.
1: Okay. But here here for so many of us uh, in my life, anyway, and I'm, I think I could speak for a lot of moms who are... Am I middle-aged? Yes. yes. Right? Yes. Well, you know, you're getting, you're getting okay. on So a lot of middle-aged couples like myself, you like you—you want to go to a dinner and a movie every once in a while. But quite frankly, like that's a costly combination. Or you don't have the time or or the energy on my shift to mm-hmm. necessarily do it all. But you do want to go to a movie. And the drink to me adds like that bit of making me feel like I'm kind of going out. Like having a bit more than just the movie. So I would like a glass of wine
4: with my popcorn. So it adds to the date ambiance.
1: adds ambience. to the date ambiance. If I'm taking my kids, am I going to order a glass of wine? No.
4: <laughs> I have a question. Well, maybe.
1: Depends, <laughs> depends, on, depends on, on, on the acting. movie and how they're yeah. acting, right, Kelly? Yeah.
5: Depends on who's driving.
4: <laughs> well, that's
0: Another a whole
5: good other that's, question, uh,
0: right? Now the whole idea of is alcohol a mandatory part, mandatory part of every experience is is one that people are going to be asking and answering with regard to these changing
5: drinking and driving laws, right? Can I get a beer at a 10 a.m. Saturday matinee? (laughs) Good
1: question.
0: Can't get one at the curling rink at 10 a.m., I can tell you that. I'm going to the wrong curling rink. But uh, let me ask you this. Do you guys seriously not know anybody that already brings booze into the movie theater?
1: Like grown-ups? Yes. Yes. Listener just texted us to say, hey, man, you've always been able to have a beer at the theater. You just don't get caught.
4: I'm telling you. I am so, so not cool. Matthew, <laughs> Just, what are you saying, now? I've never brought booze into, into some, the theater yeah.
5: ever in my life. You know? I know someone who may have uh, snuck kombucha into the theater. Which what is? is kombucha? It's a health drink. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have
1: definitely, in my younger days, snuck in chips and stuff like that Yeah, because it was, it's expensive. So in my university days when you had no money and... You'd go to the movies, and then I would, like, get a huge bag of Lay's and then open it and then roll it down so it saves space and put it in my purse.
4: (laughs) Kelly, Kelly, you're not going to confess to anything like that? No, I honestly have not done that. I'm not cool enough to do that. It's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. well, what is cool? Still, you, to what? Well, I. I it, you it, know, it sounds stand like up it, for you? It, no, it's not. Well, the way you made it sound, the way it, it sounded like that's the in thing to do. Everybody does it. No, not everybody
5: does oh, it. Oh, okay. If the last thing I drink is half a glass of water at noon and I go to a movie at 8 o'clock in the evening, I will still have to go to the bathroom twice during that movie. Yeah. So the beer is a non-starter for me because oh, that's, that's just me paying $25 yeah. to hang out in the bathroom for two yeah. hours. Yeah.
1: I, I do think that they're obviously trying to get more people in the seats, right? Because like movies are not bringing in people like they used to. And so I think they're obviously— well, they're Maybe if they clean the home. theaters
5: a bit more. Have you been— the, the landmark one is nice, but a lot of the other theaters in the city are, like, highway gas station disgusting. at, at the weirdest. Really? Yeah, at, like, four in the afternoon. And it's like, why is the bathroom this filthy right now? It's hmm. just, it's discouraging a lot. of It's like, no wonder nobody wants to come. This is gross.
1: Is the drink changing things for anybody? Will it make you go more?
5: I'm not going to make that bathroom any cleaner. It might. They might make more money and
4: be able to hire more staff. Oh, there's a thought. I like your entrepreneurial mind, Kelly Moore.
0: It will definitely be a white Christmas in Manitoba, while the past few days have been bone-chillingly cold, the temperatures are rising, they're moderating, and all signs point to a pretty decent winter, or at least a decent end to 2019.
1: Of course, before we look ahead, we want to look back on what has been, in some cases, a bizarre, maybe confusing, or depending on what you do for a living, downright depressing year. Every single year, David Phillips, who is a senior climatologist with Environment Canada, puts out... A top 10 list of the top 10 weather stories. And no surprise, Manitoba and the Prairies made the list. They usually do. This year, it was for a couple things. We want to ask David, what stood out for you, David?
6: Well, you know, on the prairies, I think for me, what stood out was the uh, was really how tough it was for for growers i mean uh, I mean it was for growers always find it difficult from a weather point of view, and they had trade and taxes and tariffs and transportation issues. but boy, the weather was weird, wild, and wacky I mean you started off in Manitoba, for example, some of the driest conditions ever I mean Winnipeg had the driest January to June in its history, and we're talking about over a hundred years i mean there was just no there was no fl- Flood threat. Although there was an early flood threat, people thought with all the snow in January and early February, oh, the Red River was going to be at its peak. But no, was the snow drought and no precipitation after that, and then farmers were happy when we saw some rescue rains that came in, uh, uh, in in sort of July and August. But they couldn't turn the faucet off, and they had big snowfalls. They had cold. They had heavy rains. One of the the wettest uh, August, September, October on record. So it was really. Unfair to them, and we still have millions of hectares of of crops still sitting on the prairies waiting to be harvested next year. That was that was not a good uh, situation, and uh, I, I think also for me, what was how brutal February was. Do you remember February, guys? I mean, my gosh, you wanted to migrate or hibernate. I mean, it was absolutely brutal, and it was all nicely packed. The shortest month became the longest month, and uh, we saw in Winnipeg not one melting temperature at all. In fact, I think 23 of the 28 days had temperatures below minus 20, and uh, so that was kind of one of the roughest uh, months you've seen. Uh, record-breaking. I've never seen a month like that in 70-some years years of, uh, of record. So, hey, there was a lot to talk about. Um, unfortunately, it's not all good news.
0: Dave, we always like to think that we're immune from tornadoes in the big cities, but uh, we know history tells us differently. Edmonton, of course, uh, the most vivid example of that. But Ottawa has had two tornadoes in successive years, correct?
6: You're right. You're right, Greg. I mean, it really has. Uh, and and some of the one two years uh, last, uh, I guess September of uh, of 2018 was a real surprise. It was the most powerful tornado that we've seen in a hundred years in September in Canada. And then they had one to kind of uh, sort of bookmarked it with uh, uh, one in um, one in June of this uh, past year. And of course, they had the big flood. The number one story this year was the incredible flood they saw in in uh, Ottawa. The second year of uh, second flood in three years i mean it was the perfect storm of flooding i mean you had the, the 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 frozen ground you had uh winter going on for so long and then all of a sudden nature woke up and said oh my gosh it should be uh spring i'll give them summer and that not good because then they got the heavy rains and it melted all the ice and snow and we we saw just uh, thousands of people left uh, had to flee their homes and the military came out and bailed and bagged and and hey, it was the biggest flood we've ever seen in all Ottawa in 120 years of, of monitoring.
1: So you mentioned the uh, Ottawa. Greg mentioned the tornadoes. We had hurricanes. We talked about the brutal cold. There was heat in Atlantic Canada, and of course, back here in Manitoba, we had the snow again in the fall. So it was just a oh, just a bizarre exactly, year. Lauren. You know,
6: I, I think. To me, that really was a big story. I mean, not only was the the snow in uh, both in Calgary, and then that snow that Calgary got, I mean, a week after summer ended, you got lots of rain, and that really set the scene for what followed just before Thanksgiving. And then one of the heaviest snowfalls—I think, uh, in fact, uh, I think it was Winnipeg's heaviest uh, uh, October snowfall on record—and um, and in some parts of the province, more than what Winnipeg got. And then, of course, the power outages for Manitoba. High I mean, it was the greatest power outage they had ever seen in their history, and that was a pattern we saw in British Columbia with windstorms, with a hurricane Dorian in, in, British, in uh, Prince in uh, Nova Scotia. So, a lot of power outages, and no one took a back seat. And we're, we, we, people weren't out of power for one day. Oh no, no. I mean, there were six thousand. I think five thousand people had power for a week or longer. I mean, you had to not just. Repair lines, power grids in the province of Manitoba. So you know what was sort of interesting? The average precipitation was the precipitation was right on average, but you didn't feel it. It was either too dry or too wet. When you average the hell out of that, you get normal, and it wasn't normal in terms of precipitation, but statistically, it was.
0: Yeah, I hate that word normal when it comes to weather in this part of the world because oh. really, there's no such thing. It it does exactly. amount to average, and I think we're experiencing that right now, David. We've had a pretty cold start to December, but it looks as though things are going to be pretty nice, relatively speaking, as we head towards New Year's. What does January and February hold in terms of what you're seeing in your crystal ball?
6: Well, Greg, you know, I think what we're seeing is exactly what you've seen. I think this is the the dry run or the dress rehearsal of what we think this uh, of this winter will be. Oh, there'll be moments where the polar vortex will be the swear words on the, on Portage and Maine, and people will saying enough's enough. But I think this kind of flip flop back and forth. Our models are showing again milder than normal, normal to milder than normal. Uh, so my sense is that hey, and you know, guys uh, on the uh, on. Saturday Saturday, the days are getting longer. So, you know, I mean, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel, although I always say as the days lengthen, the cold strengthens. We know we're still a month away from the dead of winter, but, my gosh, you've had already a teaser of it now, but we think that there will be enough of those melting and thawing days to get your mind off it. And, guys, when you get a mixed-up weather like that, where it's melting and thawing and freezing and what have you, it makes winter go that much faster. And soon we'll be into March, and winter will will be a a distant thought.
1: I guess we can end this with a happy holidays. That sounds relatively happy. Thanks for this, David.
6: Okay, you're so welcome, guys. Uh, Nice to talk to you. We'll do it again in the new year.
0: Is there anything better than talking to David Phillips? My
1: gosh, I think no.
0: (laughs) You went there. (laughs) Tristan Field-Jones.
1: Tristan Field-Jones. What a gem. Yep. Tristan is a gem. He's he goes digging for things that stand out for him. So he was telling us yesterday in a conversation after nine that he had done an interview with Mother Earth Recycling a few months ago about mattresses because the city had started up this mattress recycling program and that prompted him to go digging into what Mother Earth does. And he told us yesterday about all the great things they're doing and giving back to the community, helping people from rural areas find work, people in First Nations communities who might be coming to Winnipeg find work and really mentoring them through the whole employee process. But then they're also just doing great things with recycling. And uh, we said, down with him to find out what more is going on at Mother Earth and other businesses in Manitoba.
7: What was fascinating to me about this is a mattress is um, something that I never expected it, it could be broken down into so many parts and when you think about it it does make sense though because the mattress has the wooden bed frame it's mm-hmm. got the metal coils it's got the foam the fabric whatever else is in there um, and 95% of that material is recyclable. And to put this into context in terms of waste, the number of mattresses and box springs thrown out every year can fill the Manitoba Hydro Tower downtown. Oh, gross. So imagine a skyscraper full of old and used mattresses. You're making that up. That's 100% true. It's oh, 40,000 mattresses and box springs every year. That's according to Jessica Floresco, who's the general manager of this place. So um, I asked her about the success of Recycling Mattresses because they started a pilot project with the city fairly recently. uh, And she explains how well when they first began this and how it's really grown.
1: It started in February this year and it ends January 31st. Um, Prior to that though, we've been doing this for about four years now. So it was originally a pilot project with the province of Manitoba. They wanted to make sure that this was something that the citizens of Winnipeg and Manitoba wanted to do in a service that they would use. So they helped us get started, and we decided after a couple of years that we thought this was a viable business line to start. Um, we have 13 municipalities and towns from southern Manitoba that divert to us as well, as well as companies like IKEA, hotels, hospitals. Uh, things like that. So, And we accept from the general public, so anyone can come drop off their mattress here.
7: So it's really remarkable to me how this started as, again, just a small project, and now she's talking Ikea, hotels, that sort hmm. of thing. Um, and what's also neat about this is Mother Earth Recycling is one piece of a much larger puzzle. Okay. Now, they don't process all the material. They simply, for lack of a better word, extract it, right? If you were to use a better example of you know, the metal in your phone, right well well that has to come from somewhere so you know the mine where it comes from where they grab all the gold or silver or aluminum whatever it is they obviously don't make the phone that has to go through other people well the same is the process in reverse so the wood from the wood uh, from the bed frames has to go to be melted down or not melted down but more chipped away into biofuel the and this, this, I thought, was really cool. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get an interview with the foundry, but apparently the metal from the beds, it's melted down in Selkirk. Like the springs. Springs. It's melted down in Selkirk and reused into other materials. Mm. If you have a pop can with you, for instance, that may have been a bed coil at some point. Wow. Um, and um, what else is there? Oh, And the foam that's in there as well, uh, a lot of that is sent to Calgary, becomes carpets. So it's just one piece of a puzzle. And so one of the businesses I was able to get a hold of uh, is Site Recycling. They're located just north of Transcona. And Jody Costman is the co-owner. Um, and what, it's interesting how these companies just kind of fell into this. So uh, Jody Costman was telling me they started as a roofing company, but they noticed that the landfill kept filling up with shingles, shingles after shingles after shingles. And they were thinking there has got to be a better way and they started reusing these shingles which are made of asphalt in two roads in fact you have probably driven on a freshly paved roof so to speak Mm -hmm. because that used to be part of you know part of a roof so they also realized that there's growing demand for other things too
1: We purchased a new grinder, which allowed us to also start grinding other materials. Uh, And so we saw the need for finding cleaner fuels. And so uh, we started to grind uh, wood waste. And with this wood waste, it created biofuel.
7: And they use that as well for compost. Uh, So essentially, next time you're planting a flower, that could have been an old kitchen cabinet or an old bed frame. That may have been what it was because... So much of this material is reusable. And, um, so you started
1: this journey at Mother Earth, yep. and then in conversations, because you were curious about mattresses, you found out all sorts of things, mm-hmm. then you end up in Transcona because you're like, well, what else is being turned into, basically? And,
7: and I find out through this business that, oh, by the way, not only do we use this as biofuel and animal bedding, but we also uh, use it as, uh, we also do roofing, and they're expanding, they're branching out into other things. And what's remarkable is that these are new businesses. Like, we're talking people that have been around since not even the... The beginning of the decade, like less than 10 years old, and already they're finding opportunities in terms of this. And um, I'll, I'll play this clip here. But Jody Kosman said something that was really interesting to me. Um, she said, uh, it, it's kind of they're, they're surprised, a little surprised at their success, because here's someone who's dealing with farmers with colonies. And she grew up in the city, had no idea mm-hmm. how to go about this.
2: We have never
1: been farmers. I grew up in the city. So for me, I I didn't know the needs of a farmer. And so for me, it's interesting and, and a lot of fun to visit the different colonies to actually see how this, how they put this into in place.
0: I'm fascinated. And I think that word's been used several times in this segment by the idea that so much of this have come out and has come out of asking that very simple question. Is there a better way to do things? Yeah.
7: Exactly. And one of the things, too, I find really interesting, and Greg, I know you've got a, a lot of experience with businesses, uh, is that, you know, anytime there's a challenge or a problem, and here our, our problem is climate change and the environment, we have an issue with that. Now, too often, I think the conversation is business versus the environment. And yet here we have great local examples of people saying, no, no, they're one in the same. And we can make this work because, again, to emphasize this, Mother Earth, Recy- Mother Earth Recycling, for-profit business, green site recycling, for-profit business, the metal recyclers in Selkirk, that's for-profit. People are finding ways to make money while doing good for the environment and supplying local jobs. It can be done. And even more remarkably, a lot of these people, they never expected to end up here and yet there they are. I
0: love the way Tristan Field-Jones tells a story. Thank you, Tristan. He'll be back throughout the day.
1: It's really incredible, too, what telling those stories can do and the impact they can have on our listeners. Someone texting us to say thanks to this program. They took five items for recycling to Mother Earth yesterday instead of to the dump.
0: Thank you for that. We appreciate it.
1: So we just spoke in the last half hour with Tristan. He introduced us to a couple companies doing some really great things with recycling in Manitoba and also with keeping people employed. And this morning we want to hopefully reintroduce you to Dash. So they provide the opportunity, supports and environment in which persons living with developmental disabilities can really reach their full potential and find work. And we're joined by two guests, Greg.
0: Yes, Brenda Martinsson. Th- That's Martininson? why I Martinson? had it. <laughs> Martinsson. There we go. Martinson. You see, set me that I up. deliberately set you up there. I was like, I've already forgotten Mart- how Martinson. to pronounce it. There we go. <laughs> oh, thank you.
1: Thanks, and
0: Philip, Philip Bialk And uh, Philip is a Dash client. He works at Mona Lisa Restaurant. We were talking about that off the air. And uh, Brenda is the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer for Dash. Uh, I was trying to set you up. Mm-hmm. With I know his last name, and then you flip- threw it back. Yeah, threw it back. Wasn't going to do it, Brenda. Me.
1: Let's let's start with the basics this morning. So walk us through. If there are folks out there who aren't familiar with Dash,
8: tell us about some of the things you guys do. Okay, so Dash is uh, an organization that's been around for many decades, and and it provides. Uh, any and all supports for individuals who are differently uh, abled. So whether that's residential, vocational, day programs, respite, foster care, any of that, we got it covered. And that's to find... Jobs,
1: employment, places of uh,
8: volunteer? Not any- just for employment. We also do residential support, so 24-7 care. Um, the day programs, depending on their age, uh, may be recreational-based, maybe retirement-based. Uh, so it really looks at each individual and what their needs are and what they want out of life. So if what they're looking for is vocational and employment, competitive employment, we got it covered. When you came to Dash, Philip, what were you looking for?
2: I was looking for a place to live because I wanted to live away from my mom. I wanted to live on my own.
1: You wanted some independence. Yes. And how old were you when you went looking for that?
2: Um, I put in the request when I was 23, and then I, when I was 25, I got my first stash home.
1: How How hard was it to find that opportunity on your own. If you hadn't had Dash, would it have been really difficult to find a place and then eventually a place to work?
2: Yes, it would have been very difficult. Would have been... I don't know what I would have done without Dash.
0: So, Philip, I have to ask you this the amount of confidence that you get out of being on your own. And, you know, I'm sure you love your mom a lot. I love my mom too, but I was happy to move out of home once upon a time. Actually, I think I moved out two or three times because I I was kind of that yo-yo generation (laughs) thing. But, Philip, that idea of living on your own and that independence, (laughs) it's got to be great for your confidence.
2: Yes, it's very great for my confidence. It has allowed me to learn life skills and, you know, to understand different types of psychology from staff.
0: How do they help you with that? I, I'm very interested in that.
2: Well, you know, I just, I like to help them uh, understand my diverse neuropath.
1: So you're talking about when you go to work at Mona Lisa, what do you do?
2: I am a serving assistant.
1: So you get to help bring some of the food out or take orders, that kind of thing?
2: Uh, no, I do busing.
1: Okay, right on. So when you talk about introducing them, you, you want people to be aware of of who you are and how your brain might work, which might not be the same as their, theirs, but, but still wonderful all the same.
2: That is correct. I want to work up towards being a server, taking baby steps.
1: And gain some tips.
2: <laughs> oh, you can gratuities. You can never overdo gratitude. I always say thank you after every time like I come on the bus, I say I say hi and then thank you, and then when I get off, I say thank you.
1: You can never overdo gratitude. I love it. It's (laughs) interesting
0: that you mentioned the idea of thanking the bus driver when you get off. I saw um, a, a thread on Twitter yesterday, and somebody was asking, is that just a Winnipeg thing? People thanking the bus driver when they stop at your bus stop and getting off on the front of the bus. And I said, I remember doing it from the back of the bus mm-hmm. when I was younger. You would get off that, thank you, yes. and up to the front of the bus. So I, I, I'm down with the whole idea of gratitude, Philip. So talk about a little bit more about your relationships at, at Mona Lisa and how that's just kind of changed, changed your life. Because is that how you got introduced to bocce?
2: Yes. Uh, I tried bocce at a summer life skills program. Fourteen and a half years ago, my final of three years, I was in that summer life skills program, and never did I imagine I would be a world champion.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely unbelievable.
2: You got we to ha- go
1: to Abu Dhabi, right? Exactly. Yes,
2: Abu Dhabi for the Special
1: I rep- Olympics.
2: I in Bocce, and yes, I play on the on the Mona Lisa League in the summer and on the cafe 13 league in the winter. And I have a great coach.
0: It sounds like you're a little Special bit of a
2: Olympics coach. We are a vertical team on both leagues.
0: I love it. I think you're a little bit of a ringer uh, on the, <laughs> on the Mona Lisa team, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Brenda, just when you, you know, Philip's story intimately, but when you meet someone who is coming to dash for the first time and, and maybe they're, they're dealing with uh, some of the same gifts that Philip has or, or different gifts. How do you how do you approach that? Is there a, a period of time where you're, you're analyzing, trying to figure out what situation worked best for that client? How do how do you do that initial assessment, and where do you go from from that?
8: So. It's very individualized. Every person is different. Everyone has different um, strengths, but they also have different interests. And so it really is, there's a formal and an informal piece. So there's formal uh, vocational assessments in terms of what their interests are and where their strengths lies, but it's also a lot about dialogue and relationships and communication and really drilling down into what they want. Um, One of the things that's really unique about the Dashworks vocational program is that it's, uh, it has something that doesn't exist elsewhere in the city, which is basically like a post-secondary education component. So we can talk to people. Do they want to learn about computers and technology? Do they want to learn business and marketing, uh, processing and production, um, industrial, consumer service, all those things. And just the other day, I was having a conversation with someone and and she didn't know. She really wasn't sure, you know, where she would want to go in this program. And then we started talking about her love of baking. This program builds that in. So whether it's learning how to make a cup of hot chocolate or making a cheesecake, she got so excited. She was literally doing a dance Mm. around the room because she found a program that would support her passion, help her develop those skills so that she can then turn around and go to the community and go to employers and say, I have a proven track record of being able to do these things. It's not just learning on the job, right? How hard is it to make that first step,
1: whether it's Philip to answer this Mm -hmm. question as well as for you, Brenda, in the sense of, you know, you want to make these steps and you want to move out of the house or you want to find a job. But is there how often do you get clients walking in saying like, I just didn't know where to turn or I I feel like something was holding me back or or maybe somebody wouldn't want to employ me? Were you worried that somebody wouldn't want to take you on or have you in their apartment building or any of those things, Philip?
2: Well, you know, with jobs, um, I just want to say it's very. I feel good when I work, and you know, I want to buy my own house and car, and I want to have my own income t- to build a relationship with different businesses, organizations. And financial institutions.
1: You want to be more independent. And and Brenda, I think we often hear back from employers who say it's the best decision they've ever made, right? Because the the growth they see among their staff and and the the feelings that they all get and working together and having this diverse workspace is really important.
8: I actually think it's really important. um, You touched on something vital. There is actually an incredibly sound business case for businesses to tap into this untapped talent pool. Uh, and it goes beyond feeling good. It's actually a good business decision. There is decreased employee turnover. What employer does not know how much it costs for, uh, for turnover? It's expensive. There's decreased absenteeism. The Canadian economy, $16.6 billion last year in absenteeism. That is all dramatically reduced when you hire differently abled individuals. Um, Beyond that, because they're very like they're engaged, they want to be there. Yes, and what I think most people also miss is that actually their bottom line increases, productivity goes up, morale goes up, um, the customer loyalty goes up.
0: Amazing stuff, Brenda. How, how do people reach out to Dash?
8: So we can be reached through uh, the website, dasch.mb.ca. Uh, we are currently doing our holiday campaign to raise funds for the Dashworks program. And until December 31st, we have the Double Up for Dash campaign, which is supported by the Justman Family Foundation.
0: Philip, I have one last question for you. Ooh. How long you've been working? Well, two, actually. How long you've been working at Mona Lisa?
2: Seven years. Wow!
0: H- how many how many days have you called in sick?
2: Um, he can't remember. <laughs> uh, two, or two, two or three. Two or three in seven, seven years. years. Yeah, that's
0: what you call dependable. That's what you call you're hired. So, yeah. Absolute honor to meet you, sir. We'll see you again sometime.
2: It's an honor to meet you too.
0: Thank you for this, Brenda. Thanks for the work that you do.
8: Thank you for having us here on the start.
0: Hope you're having a great start to your day. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, Brett McGarry's back next week, and then Loren McNabb takes off for
1: yeah, again. a bunch
0: of days, and then a we bunch. celebrate Christmas and <laughs> Boxing Day, and, and I think I have a day off. I think we get back to normal completely January 3rd, Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Not that that matters to to many of you, but for those of you that it does matter to, thank you so much.
1: There's the info, yeah. Thanks
0: for all your feedback, your Christmas wishes over the last several days. It's been very nice to hear from you, 204-780-6868, and we want to invite you to cjob.com. Question of the day, brand new question of the day, thanks to Loren McNabb. For safety reasons, some Winnipeg stores have recently adjusted their overnight hours, and this comes to us from folks who have been listening and reaching out to us and saying, hey, it's not just 7-Eleven that's changed their hours. There are other places as well. Mm -hmm. So we decided to turn it into that question of the day. Have you noticed any changes in your neighborhood? Four options for you at CJOB.com. Question of the day is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243.
1: All right, so our next guest is here to tell us about something that this is how it was pitched to me, first of all. It said, the Cavern, a most beloved and iconic Osborne Village venue, is closing its doors forever. And then in brackets says, cue having sobbing. So this weekend, that's the location right next to the Toad in the Hole, or is it a... Underneath, uh, actually. Oh, we better turn on your mic. That's my (laughs) fault. Again, me with the buttons today. No, it's not your fault. I'm not on it. But yeah, the cavern
3: is underneath
1: the toad. Underneath the toad. So it's closing its doors, and that's in part because the toad is moving and leases are changing. So they're moving to Bocacchino's, which closed its doors. It's on more south Osborne. So lots of changes happening in Osborne. And the cavern's been around for a long time, kind of a fixture for folks in that village.
3: You know, it's such an institution. Uh, Everyone I know has been going to the cavern for years. And while it hasn't been a comedy venue for I think about two years, uh, we figured, you know, we may as well get in there for one last hurrah before it closes down. That's the voice of Sarah Jane. I am.
0: Martin. Martin.
1: Mm-hmm. Sarah J. Martin. <laughs> I mean, just get up and go for this segment. I have, Sarah J. Martin's a comedian, she's going to be performing on stage this weekend. And you were saying that uh, the Cavern's one of those places that for comics in the city is kind of super well known for everybody.
3: Yeah. It, uh, I believe John B. Duff started the Cavern as a comedy venue back in 2005. And Comedy Sundays were uh, a thing that was going on for years and years. And a lot of. Uh, Winnipeg Comics got their start there, so we all kind of hold a little, we reserve a corner of our heart for that space.
1: Right, it's special because it's your first
3: moments of terrifying moments, I'm guessing, for some to get up there. Totally, yeah. You know, we've all, we've had our good Cavern shows, and then a lot of the comics who had some of their first times on there, we, we've we all bailed a handful of times <laughs> on the Cavern <laughs> hey, stage. You gotta, you gotta have bad to have good, right? Exactly.
0: Uh, Sarah Jane, uh, Winnipeg has... Uh, Become, I think, a little bit of a comedy hotbed in large part to these smaller clubs offering up their their services, their venues to comedians like yourself, an opportunity to have open mics, to have different shows, uh, not just one night of the week that, that they kind of move around. Tell us a little bit about the, the comedy community in our city.
3: Yeah, well, you know, we have a fantastic community, and I think our underground scene is really thriving right now. There are so many different venues. Almost every night of the week, there's always a show happening. Right now, We Johnny's is a huge venue. Every Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, you can see shows there. Handsome Daughter on Thursdays and lots of different little one-offs and shows. But uh, one thing that I... I had to acknowledge in producing this final show is the role that John B. Duff played in establishing this comedy scene because he really was one of the forefathers of the scene and he helped so many comics get their start. Uh, And And he he started the open mic night at... Yeah, he started the open mic at Cavern years ago, and he started the Odd Block Festival, and yeah, he really helped so many comics get their start. So so. this weekend's really in honor of him. As the Cavern
1: closes, you're trying to open a few more doors for John, who was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer earlier this year, Mm -hmm. and it's a fundraiser for him and, and some of his needs. Tell us a bit about it.
3: Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, Duff has battled cancer several times. And, um, yeah, things are not looking so good for him right now. He's got a form of cancer called glioblastoma, which is affecting his brain. And he's dealing with some pretty awful headaches right now. And uh, he's got a GoFundMe set up to help him just because his mobility is really compromised now. So when uh, we were pitching this idea of a final comedy show at the Cavern, I I felt like we just had to acknowledge his role that he had in starting that room and helping start a lot of our careers within comedy. So, yeah, we decided to make it a fundraiser for him because it's, you know, it's Christmas, so it's uh, as good a time as ever to band a bunch of people together for that. It's not just given comics a place to stand or comedians a place to go it's also the mentorship
1: that comes along the way because I can imagine that's a pretty challenging business it's a you gotta you've got all these things in your head that you you know you can be funny you know you can get up there and do it but a you need the place and then you need the courage and then you need mm. someone to tell you on the, the things that did work or didn't work right absolutely and, so, uh, and
3: John was great at telling you what didn't work
1: oh yeah <laughs> some, some constructive feedback
3: oh yeah I always appreciated that aspect of it too you know he wasn't afraid to hold back and I always think that's a a sign of someone who respects you as an artist when they are um willing to be uh, genuine with you and blunt about their criticism well, it's sometimes. well
0: we'll talk about that side of it because i've always imagined uh, comedians as being so competitive mm-hmm. with one another but i've also learned over the years that that there is that back and forth that ability to take criticism that ability not 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 only to take it but to to deliver it and there is an appreciation on both sides of it
3: Absolutely. I think to be a good comedian, you need to have that open feedback loop, not just with the audience, but with other comics as well. That's how you can hone your craft. I mean, if you're just practicing in your mirror by yourself and not really listening to any of the outside perspectives, you aren't really going to make a lot of progress. So um yeah, that was one of the nice things about Duff. And a lot of the other comics in the city is we, we i i feel it is a pretty supportive community. And especially when, you know, we're a smaller city, it's pretty tight-knit. So we need to have each other's backs in that regard.
0: I have to ask you about this political correctness movement, because it feels as though nobody is more handcuffed by this than comedians. I've been to a couple shows in the last couple of years, uh, bigger and smaller rooms, bigger and larger shows, well-named folks and others are saying, Keep your phone away. Put your phone away. This is, this is about us tonight. It's about those of us that are in the room. We're having a conversation. I'm going to share with you my ideas. If I want to share it with the internet, I'll go on the internet and share it. But what I'm asking you tonight is that we just kind of converse, that we communicate within this space tonight.
7: Are
3: you referencing the Louis C.K. show that was here and his request to do that? No, and there have been others, not There's just others. Louis
0: C.K. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I've seen it with others, just the, the idea that you're sort of hamstrung to a certain extent and, and your hands are tied or, or maybe you're not
3: feeling that. Um, within our own community, I don't think we really have an issue with that per se. I think maybe some of the other bigger names who have gotten themselves into hot water and are clearly trying to, you know, Stay put barriers of hot up. hot water, yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, no, Louie's kind of a whole other situation. I, I think that is a
0: completely a, a one-off there. Totally. And I wasn't actually referring to him. Oh, no, but- it's
3: all good. But yeah, I think within our own community, I... I don't think there's as much of an issue with us feeling too barred down by political correctness. I think that we're just taking a new approach to comedy now where the like you can talk about controversial subjects. Just the most important thing is to not punch down. I think that's one thing that that the biggest change. Yeah. Don't punch down. Uh, That's probably the biggest change. And that has made for a much better Comedy um, community. I think comedy is funnier that way because no one wants to listen to those hacky 90s comics mm-hmm. anymore, you know, and, talking and, about uh, their uh, wives and things right. like that. Right. And I don't like
1: that feeling of uncomfortableness.
3: I, I, I like the uncomfortable
1: humor in the mm-hmm. sense of like, ooh, like uh, that's like thought provoking right. or edgy. But I don't like that, ooh, like, yeah. Cringeworthy think, stuff. Yeah. I don't exactly. know if we should be saying that. or that's what how, And that's the punch down aspect when someone can't fight back or, mm-hmm. or stand up and represent themselves. Yeah, because sometimes. A line for, I don't know, height, weight, whatever, right? It's like grabbing
3: low-hanging fruit, you know? It's not really impressive as a comic. So if you can find a clever way to talk about controversial subjects that is actually really thought-provoking, then I think that's fantastic. So is
0: that the biggest move, then, in terms of comedy, from your perspective? That looks to be looking at the same... Part of it, but with a positive spin, shall we say, the, the fact that you have to be more intelligent in order to engage with your audience.
3: Absolutely, because um, a lot of uh, comics, too, and sort of sometimes newer comics who are trying things out, there's a bit of uh, this assumption that, I don't know, defaulting on crass and offensive humor is just going to be automatically funny. And it's important to learn to not use that as a crutch. So uh, it's good to train yourself out of um, doing that and having comedy that focuses on other things first, just to almost prove that you can do mm-hmm. that. And then from there, start digging a little deeper and experimenting a bit. That's where the truest art form of it begins, because you're writing things, right? Like some mm-hmm. things are off the
1: cuff for sure, but a lot of it is really about uh, generating your own uh, story. So this weekend, you've got Corey Falvo, Kristen Ironson, Dan Goldberg, Chad Anderson, yourself, Keener, Alec Van Derseen, and then Tina and Dana. Sunday?
3: Uh, Yeah, Sunday at 8 p.m. and it's $10 for a ticket and yeah, all of the proceeds are going to be going to John B. Duff's care. The final ever show at the cavern before it closes its doors and moves on to another location. Sarah, thank you for this.
1: Sarah Jane. Thank you.
0: Sarah Jane Martin joining us in the <laughs> studio. <laughs> I dropped,
1: I got, I'm dropping all her names. I'm going to start th- calling her SJ.
0: I got your back. That would make it gap. easier
1: for me. Excellent.
0: <laughs> Jeff courier is going to take over this microphone in about 14 minutes time, but we'll get a little bit of a head start and a peek at what he has in store for you from 10 till 1 this morning on 680 CJOB. Stick around, won't you?
7: Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K, W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry. B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B.
2: Talk soon.